0: What is going on, sports fans? And welcome into season five, episode six of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. We've got an absolutely awesome, loaded show with all your sports news you can need on this Monday, February 13th. Uh, Super Bowl 57 recap. Fastest five minutes recapping the game, giving some takes after the game as we close the book on another NFL season. Then we'll take a quick break here, a word from our sponsors Anchor, and then we'll come back. And reset the NBA landscape, some games in action tonight, but more importantly, we gotta recap the trade deadline, including some big trades like Kevin Durant going to Phoenix and much, much more. But first, as always, this episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast, creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast right from your phone or computer, so if you want to Go ahead and make your very own podcast if you're interested in podcasting. You need to go online to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app today. Today is Monday, February 13th. Let's go. Hello everybody, welcome in. Season 5, episode 5. It's time to recap Super Bowl 57. Let's go to Arizona and State Farm Stadium, the site of Super Bowl 57, the Kelsey Bowl, Andy Reid versus his old team, and a number of different storylines as the Kansas City Chiefs took on the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles got off to a flying start in this one as they drove right down the field on the opening drive and Jalen Hurts ran it in to give the Eagles a 7 nothing lead. But Mahomes and Kelsey were firing on the next drive as they drove down the field for their only touchdown connection of the game, and the Chiefs tied the game at seven. The Chiefs were driving down the field late in the first quarter, but Bucker doinked a kick. The Eagles took advantage and took a 14-7 to lead. The Chiefs responded as Jalen Hurts fumbled the ball away, and Nick Bolton ran it back for a touchdown, and we had ourselves a 14-14 game in the middle of the second quarter. From that point forward, the rest of the first half belonged to the Eagles. Jalen Hurtswood threw a deep bomb to A.J. Brown and he also ran in a touchdown and the Eagles kicked a field goal before half as the Eagles shut down the Chiefs' momentum in the first half offensively, dominated the time of possession in tune to a 24-14 lead at halftime. Also worth noting, Mahomes limped into the halftime locker room with an injury. But as Rihanna was singing... About her umbrella, Ella, Ella, A, 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 under her umbrella. Mahomes was getting every sort of drug known to man injected into his ankle to try and make sure he could play in half number two. And boy, did it work. Exactly what the doctor ordered for the Chiefs came true in the second half. A lengthy touchdown drive capped off by Isaiah Pacheco brought the Chiefs within three. And from then on there, the Chiefs were able to dominate thanks in part to the play calling by Andy Reid and the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes. Kadarius Toney scored a touchdown to make it 28-27 to after a crucial Eagles drive. The longest drive in Super Bowl history plays-wise only resulted in a field goal instead of a touchdown, which kept it a six-point game instead of a ten-point game. Mahomes found Kadarius Toney on a play call that was called Corn Dog as Tony was wide open for a touchdown. And then Tony made an impact the very next possession as the Chiefs defense forced a three and out. And Tony ran the punt back 65 yards for the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. Setting up Sky Moore, Maxion's finest, for a touchdown on a very similar play to Tony's first touchdown. As the Chiefs took an eight-point lead in the middle of the fourth quarter. But the Eagles responded as Jalen Hurts found Devontae Smith to get the Eagles deep into Chiefs territory Jalen Hurts punched it in for his Super Bowl record for a quarterback third rushing touchdown and Jalen Hurts got the octopus as he got the two-point conversion as well to make it 35-35 but as it has been the case before it was the case again there was too much time on the clock for Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes drove the Chiefs down and they faced the third and eight with 148 to go Mahomes dropped back in the pocket, threw it to Juju Smith-Schuster, and it was incomplete. But there was laundry on the field as the officials threw a flag. Defensive holding allowed the Chiefs to take a knee, and Harrison Bucker drilled the game-winning field goal. Mahomes gets his second. Andy Reid beats his former team. And how about those Chiefs? As Kansas City wins their second Super Bowl in four years, 38-35. to Super Bowl 57 is in the books and that was the fastest 5 minutes in football brought to you by Anchor. What a Super Bowl we had. This was one of my favorite Super Bowls in a long time. Um I was personally rooting for Kansas City and Mahomes um you know, after listening to last week's preview episode between me and Chauncey, we both like the Chiefs. We both picked the Chiefs, and it's always nice to be right when I, when you're a, a sports analyst picking these games. So I envisioned the Chiefs were going to win and that Mahomes is going to be MVP, and that's exactly what happened. But I was very impressed by both of these teams. And just this Super Bowl in general is very impressive, you know. Big shout-out to Rihanna uh, for her halftime show. She was pregnant as well, and she had an awesome halftime show and I think her performance only gets heightened because she was pregnant while doing it so one thing I seem to realize um during these halftime shows like with Rihanna like you know I'm a casual Rihanna fan like I know her good songs and stuff but when I hear a halftime show like that with some of these artists I'm like man you it kind of dawns on you and you how many like hit songs they truly have but that so the commercials I thought were actually generally good. Um, the, there are a couple that stick in my mind. Um, the one was the uh, the Tubi commercial, which, if you remember it, it it flashed to Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, the announcers of the game, and then it acted the screen acted as if someone was changing to the Tubi app on your TV. So, uh, I can imagine a lot of households in America and around the world freaked out that the TV was getting changed. But the Super Bowl was very good. Um, everything about it, we had an awesome game between the two best teams in football and really two awesome performances offensively. Um, the Eagles owned this first half and they did exactly what they wanted to. And one thing that I, you know, was, was I said that the Eagles needed to do to win this game, they did one of them, they didn't do the other. The one I said they need to rely on Jalen Hurts and have Jalen Hurts do some special things. And he was able to play very special. He had three, touchdown, three rushing touchdowns, one throwing touchdown, 27-38, to 38, 304 yards. Um, he was awesome, and he definitely played well enough to win. Outside of that fumble, that fumble was a big turning point in that second quarter, it felt like. But the Eagles dominated that first half, and a big reason why was it was a common thread in Mahomes's three prior playoff losses. So against the Bengals, against the... Um, Against the Bengals, against the Buccaneers, and against the Patriots back in 2018. Mahomes' only other three playoff losses, only three playoff losses, period. Um, The common thread was that the Chiefs lost the time of possession battle. And the Eagles wanted to, you know, use their run game to their advantage, which outside of Jalen Hurts, they didn't have a run game. But they wanted to, you know, dominate time of possession in that first quarter quarter they were or first half they were able to do that and they still had the ball for 12 more minutes than the Chiefs did the Eagles did and they also had you know more yards but the Chiefs just had plays when they needed to and that second half was really a tale of two halves Um Mahomes came out and you know I was um the Eagles fans I feel like probably felt pretty confident going into halftime. You know, you're up 10, Mahomes, you know, he limped off the field the last time the Chiefs had the ball, looked like he was going to be hurt, and he figured, you know, we got the best defensive line in football. We'll be able to, you know, pressure him, especially if he's not going to be able to be mobile. But Mahomes was still be will, was still able to be mobile, especially in that second half. That first drive for the Chiefs, like I said, changed the game because not only did it allow them to get Mahomes in a rhythm offensively, but it also kept the defense off the field. And that defense was gassed because in that second quarter, the Chiefs had the ball at the start of it. They had to punt. And then the Eagles went on a long touchdown drive. Then the Chiefs had to punt again. The Eagles get the ball back. The Chiefs get a defensive touchdown. And then the Eagles go on another touchdown drive. So I believe there was a time where the the Chiefs hadn't had the ball offensively for like 35 minutes not 35 minutes of game time, but 35 minutes total, which is a long time, and it's hard to develop an offensive rhythm when that is the case. But in the second half, the Chiefs did get the ball. They got in a rhythm on that first drive, and then their defense was able to just do just do enough. You know, bend, don't break. And I think that was the difference in the game. Mahomes was great. Uh, didn't really throw for a lot of yards, but he impacted the game, and he played like Superman in that second half. 21 to 27, 182 yards, three touchdowns. He had a couple of huge scrambles in this game. Six rushes for 44 yards. Um, the usual, the, the two receivers who really made an impact for Mahomes were Kelsey and Juju. Juju had some big catches. But the thing that really told the difference in the game, um, I said, you know, the game is won and lost in the trenches. And I think the Eagles, this, you know, despite everybody saying they had an advantage on offensive and def- defensive line, I think they got outplayed both In both fronts. Um, in terms of their def- defensive line, Patrick Mahomes didn't get sacked. And that's a big shout-out and kudos to the Chiefs' offensive line. Because when you're not able to pressure Mahomes with four, which the Eagles weren't able to do, they weren't even able to sack him, it's hard to beat Patrick Mahomes. And the second thing the Chiefs did better than the Eagles was run the ball. You know, we heard all week, me included, we're telling you about if the Eagles get a lead, like a 10-point lead, which they did have, they will be able to run the clock down because they have such an elite running game. The Chiefs outgained the Eagles rushing yards wise by like 43 yards. So the Chiefs were able to utilize that to, you know, to their advantage. But honestly, it was a really good back and forth game. Um, A lot of Philly fans, a lot of NFL fans, I feel like are going to be mad about that holding call on James Bradbury, on Juju Smith-Schuster in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter. And I think the reason why so many people are mad is not because they didn't think it was like a flag. They didn't think it was a penalty. It was a penalty. He was holding him. James Bradbury, even after the game, went out and said it was a penalty. But the fact that the game sort of ended on that play, the fact that there was 148 left, and the fact that the Chiefs would have probably had to kick there, and we were probably gearing up for overtime. I think just people were, you know, it was such a great game. I think people were not ready for it to end, and they thought a game that great didn't deserve an end like that. But as an unbiased observer who's not a fan of either of these teams, looking at that play, it was a hold. And, you know, there's been so many complaints about the referees these playoffs, especially from Cincinnati fans, you know, before this, and now Philly fans complaining about this call. You know, I think... If we want the referees to be more consistent, they need to not think like us fans do. Like us fans are like, all right, 148 left in the Super Bowl. That's a hold, but you shouldn't throw the flag there. You know, let him play in that situation. But either way, I think the ref should do what he sees. If the ref sees it, thinks it's a flag, throw the flag. That's my opinion. Because there are certain times in the games where they're just letting them play. S- a situation happens like the 2018-2019 NFC Championship um, with the Saints and the Rams, you know? So I would rather have the refs be consistent, and I don't think the referees um, really played that big of a factor in this game, despite what Philadelphia fans might be saying on Twitter. Um, I think, you know, you had a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl. You had double-digit lead in the Super Bowl, and you let Mahomes, who's obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks ever— and you let that offense score on every drive in the second half. You couldn't get a stop, and that was the difference in the game. But, you know, big shout-out to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes because I said, I said, you know, with these guys having two weeks to game plan for the Super Bowl, I don't see the Chiefs losing, but it was really the halftime adjustments that helped the Chiefs in this one. But that is not a knock on the Eagles. The Eagles had an outstanding season. Um You know, 16-4, and NFC Championship. You know, it looks like they have a franchise guy. I feel comfortable saying that, just seeing how Jalen Hurts played on the the big stage. But they do have a lot of questions. You know, is Jason Kelsey going to retire? Who are they going to bring back in free agency? You know, Shane Steichen, one of their coordinators, their OC is going to be the new head coach of the Colts. You know, they're going to be losing some coaches. They have 20 free agents. They're going to have to pay Hurts, so that's going to affect their cap space. So they got a lot of questions going forward, but they have a bright future. They had a great season this season, and honestly, they played pretty well and they had the perfect script, the perfect game plan for a half. But in the second half Mahomes just had to remind people who he was. He's Superman. And he is in the midst right now of the greatest start to a career we've seen in NFL history. I mean, just just take a look at Mahomes. Like the fact the thing that this guy has done and he's only been in the league since 2018. It is crazy. He's, they're five years into the Mahomes era, the Chiefs are. This is courtesy of Nick Wright, who I, I really like, enjoy listening to. Um, he's the host of, you know, what, What's Right in Fox Sports 1 and all that. He tweeted this out. When the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes, they had one Super Bowl win, and they hadn't been to one in 50 years. Now, five years into the Mahomes era, Here's the full franchise list with more Super Bowls than KC. Patriots, Steelers, Cowboys, 49ers, Giants, and Packers. So the Chiefs have three Super Bowls. It is, you know, he is in the midst, like I said, the greatest start to a career, career we have ever seen. And it's honestly a pleasure, pleasure to watch. He's only 27 years old. Um, Five years in the league, he's won the MVP twice, Um, he's won two Super Bowl MVPs, two Super Bowls, five straight Pro Bowls, five straight 12-win seasons, five straight division titles, five straight championship games, in only five years as a starter, and he once again, like, like he did against the 49ers in that Super Bowl, they found themselves down double digits in the third quarter, And he was able to bring him back when he needed to. And he made the big plays when he needed to. But it was a great game. And I think, you know, you're looking ahead for the Chiefs. As long as they have Mahomes, I think they're going to be in contention to be in this game every year. And I think the Eagles have nothing to hang their hat on. I think, you know, sometimes Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. Sometimes LeBron James is LeBron James. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. That's what happened last night, I think, with Mahomes. The Chiefs got good contributions across the board as well. I was really impressed with Isaiah Pacheco and his ability to – like I said in in the preview on last week, I said Pacheco and McKinnon need to be factors in the run game, and they were. Pacheco had 15 carries, 76 yards, and a touchdown. McKinnon had four carries, 34 yards, 8.5 yards per carry. So those two were able to establish a run, as was Mahomes. So the Chiefs, in the second half especially, really impressive. Especially the fact that they scored 38 points and they only had the ball for 24 minutes. It was a great Super Bowl. The Chiefs win it. Mahomes, honestly, I don't think it's a stretch to say Patrick Mahomes is a top five quarterback of all time, probably. Um, Definitely top ten. But I would say top five because, like, the three who for sure I would say still are probably above Mahomes would be obviously Tom Brady. I would give Joe Montana a slight edge, and I would give Peyton Manning a slight edge. But after that, who can you really put above Mahomes? Just looking at it, it, you know, he's only played five years. He is already a Hall of Famer, and he's only going to get better. And a big, uh, you know, shout-out to the Chiefs. You know, Travis Kelsey after the game said – you know, he, everybody was doubting the Chiefs and all that stuff, but I think, you know, I, maybe on a little bit of lesser of a scale, I think maybe some people doubted the Chiefs because they got rid of Tyreek Hill, who's not only, you know, one of the best receivers in the league, but he was probably Mahomes' best offensive weapon outside of Kelsey, and a lot of people were like, that loss is going to hurt them. It didn't really hurt them at all, but I don't think a lot of people doubted them after that, but Chiefs were able to, you know, overcome Mahomes' injury, overcome some injuries in that receiving core on the offensive skill positions, and they were able to win their second Super Bowl in four years And what many people thought was a year that others in the AFC West would kind of take control of this division. But Andy Reid wins his second. He is now um, you know, etched in history as one of the greatest head coaches of all time, in my opinion. And um, the Chiefs They're always going to have a chance to be back as long as they got number 15, in my opinion. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got everything regarding the NBA trade deadline, the updated NBA landscape. Does it change who I think is going to go to the NBA finals? We will have that and more after a word from our sponsors and anchor. Welcome back to season five, episode six of the Jack of all trades sports podcast. Before we get to the NBA trade deadline, uh, I realized I haven't talked about LeBron. Uh, LeBron James is your new all-time NBA scoring leader. LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I believe it was now, I guess a week a week ago from today, from tomorrow, excuse me. So it was last week, last Tuesday. You know, he hit his iconic fadeaway jumper. It was pretty cool seeing that um, as a Cavs fan, as a person who was born and raised in Northeast Ohio like LeBron. It's pretty cool to see that. LeBron is now the all-time scoring leader, and in my opinion, I don't know how you can argue someone else is a better basketball player all-time than he is. All right, let's get to our NBA trade deadline recap. Starting, we'll go in chronological order. Um, there's obviously some some big trades that we're going to get to that happen later, but we'll start, I guess, with Rui Hachimura to the Lakers. Um this trade was made actually at the end of January. Uh, Rui Hachimura went from the Wizards to the Lakers. Um, is a good wing player that can play in the paint next to Anthony Davis or play either, like I said, on the wing. He's played pretty well with the Lakers so far. Uh, if you guys are big college basketball fans, you might remember him when he was at Gonzaga. Um, he's a young, versatile player that can play defense and shoot. Which is something the Lakers don't have a lot of, so it makes sense why they brought him in. So that was the first trade that happened. I would probably give the Lakers a B on this trade and the Wizards maybe a B minus. I feel like the Wizards didn't really get a lot of value back for a young player who's, you know, a pretty decent role player like Hachimura. Then we got the big trade. The first big trade. And it was Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Kyrie Irving, obviously, uh, he requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets, and was ultimately dealt two days later to the Mavericks. Um, Nothing seemed to go right with the Nets during Irving's tenure there, and he's getting a fresh start now in Dallas. Brooklyn was able to reacquire Spencer Dinwiddie, and they also got Dorian Finney-Smith for Irving, as well as a 2029 first-round pick and two second-round picks in that deal. They also acquired Markeef Morris in this deal as well. Um, This is a... I don't know how to say this on paper. It's the Mavericks got better on paper. Um, The fact that I feel like Kyrie Irving, just looking at his time in Cleveland, looking at his time in Boston, looking at his time in Brooklyn, whenever he's left a franchise, it sort of kind of blew up the franchise for a little bit. Obviously the Cavs and the Celtics have gotten back, but obviously the Cavs, you know, they were good the year after Irving left because they had LeBron still. But after that, boom, the Celtics, They were still good after he left, but he's just been so bad in the locker room at the end of his tenures and with the front office that you know he's there's been a lot of distractions with him in locker rooms. So from that standpoint and the chemistry standpoint, you gotta wonder, especially Irving on an expiring contract, if he's gonna re sign in Dallas. But I think for. Just looking at this from a pure basketball standpoint, for the rest of the season, it makes the Mavericks better. You know, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving are now one of the most dynamic offensive duos in the NBA, and the Mavs have made it clear that they're looking to get back to and advance past the Western Conference Finals this season, and having an elite scorer, an elite talent, an elite playmaker like Kyrie Irving alongside Luka Doncic, who's all those things as well, makes Dallas better. I think Brooklyn got a, some great value left in this trade. Also knowing that Kyrie would have left in free agency, I would give both teams an A here on this trade. I think, you know, Dallas, they are contenders now with Kyrie. They're in a lot better spot than they would have been if they just had stand pat. The Nets honestly got a lot back looking towards their future but also to, you know, stay competitive for at least a playoff spot this season. So that was the 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 second big trade. There there's there's some some other small trades. the 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 next big trade was Russell Westbrook, um, in that three team deal with the Lakers, Jazz, and Timberwolves. So, this was a uh, a big trade. Um, Russell Russell Westbrook's time in L A. finally has come to an end. Uh, it was a three team deal. The Lakers acquired D'Angelo Russell. Obviously, they drafted D'Angelo Russell back. In, I believe it was 2016 draft. Um, They also got Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. Giving them three key talents to pair with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I think it makes the Lakers better. The Jazz acquired Russell Westbrook, who is expected to be bought out. Not sure if he has been bought out yet, but they expect him to be bought out. The Jazz also got Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones, as well as a 2027 first-round pick from the Lakers that is top four protected. The Timberwolves got Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and three second-round picks just for sending D'Angelo Russell to L.A. I would give the Lakers actually an A-plus on this trade. Honestly, you know, they've needed offensive playmaking. They got that D'Angelo Russell. And they've needed guys who can just come in shoot in the corner, and play defense. Obviously, LeBron has a lingering foot injury. That is going to be a huge key. Like If he's not healthy, the Lakers aren't going to have any success in the playoffs. But if LeBron is healthy and you plug these guys in, I think they, not, I think they give themselves a chance to at least be competitive in a playoff series. Because before they made any of these trades, I would have said the Lakers have no chance to make the playoffs. Now I give them a chance to not only make the play-in, but maybe win in the play-in. Because they got guys who can just come in, play defense, and be open for threes. Because LeBron, D'Angelo Russell, and Anthony Davis are so ball-dominant players, they need to be going towards the basket. That when the defense collapses, they need guys who not only can just stand out in the corner and shoot, but they need guys who can actually make them, unlike Russell Westbrook. So I like this trade for Lakers. I think the Timberwolves got slightly better too. I'll give them a B here. You know, Mike Conley still got some good basketball left. They got a bunch of second round picks, which they can flip for more value in the future. Not really sure I like this trade for Utah, but, you know, they're in a unique spot where they're trying to rebuild at the same time as also be competitive. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, The Knicks acquire Josh Hart in a four-team deal. That's a semi-big move, I would say. Um, In exchange for Josh Hart, the Knicks sent Cameron Reddish, Ryan Archidiakono, uh, Svi Michalik, I don't know how to say it, and a 2023 lottery first-round pick. So, Josh Hart reunites with Jalen Brunson in New York. Um, I think they, you know, good trade for the Knicks here. Um, Elsewhere, It was – and then there was some other pieces in that trade too. Uh, From there, the Blazers, who I said got that Spai Mikeaholic guy. That's how I'm going to say his name. And the 2027 second-round pick, they traded that to Charlotte, who then sent Jalen McDaniels, and a 2024 second to Philly, who sent Matisse Thiebel to Portland. So it was a four-team trade there. But let's get to the big trade, Um, the trade you guys are probably listening for. And that is Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns. Kevin Durant being on the move was very shocking. Perhaps the biggest and most shocking trade to ever be made at the NBA trade deadline. I don't know if we've ever seen a player at this magnitude, Kevin Durant, who's probably a top 20 player, eh, 25 player of all time, maybe. Um, Breaking news into Jack of all trades before we get to the Kevin Durant trade in the NFL we'll talk about it a little bit. I mean, cuz we were just kind of soapboxing about Kevin Durant there. Um the Las Vegas Raiders have released Derek Carr after Derek Carr said he would not not accept a trade anywhere. So Derek Carr will be on the move. Um it was previously reported that um Carr would that Carr was going to try and be a saint, but uh a New Orleans Saint obviously, but Carr obviously had that no trade clause after signing that big extension last year. And so why would he uh, Why would he agree to a trade when they could just cut him and he can pick wherever he wants to go? That's why I think it's a good move for Derek Carr. The, the Raiders had no leverage in this situation, so I'm not ex- surprised Derek Carr is released. But I would expect him to go to a team like New Orleans or maybe, you know, Tampa Bay, uh, two teams – in a bad division, the NFC South who need a quarterback who feel like they're quarterback away from being the best team in that division. So I wouldn't see, be surprised if he ends up at a team like that. All right, back to the NBA, back to Kevin Durant. Um, like I was saying, Kevin Durant, I don't know if we've ever seen a player at this level, a guy who's still in his prime top 25 player ever get traded at the deadline. It's kind of similar to Juan Soto getting traded at the MLB deadline last year. Um, There had been clues to this move potentially happening, obviously after Irving got traded, but the Nets remained adamant they did not want to deal Durant. But ultimately, they got a lot in exchange for Kevin Durant. So the Nets acquired Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, a 2028 first-round pick swap, four unprotected first-round picks from the Suns, and TJ Warren for Kevin Durant. So that... Is crazy. I mean, they got a lot. They got five first round picks: michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and they also got uh, T.J. Warren in another trade. This trade was then expanded on to include the Bucks and the Pacers, as the Bucks got Jay Crowder from the Nets. Uh, the Nets received the rights to Juan Pablo Valle from the Pacers, as well as a twenty twenty eight and twenty twenty nine second round pick from Milwaukee, and the Pacers received Serge Ibaka, George Hill. Jordan Nuara, cash considerations and three second round picks from the Bucks. So the the Suns are going for it, man. They you know, look at their starting five. You got Booker, Chris Paul, Deandre Ayton and Durant in there. I mean, that's on paper probably the best starting five in basketball. But the Suns, you know, they under new ownership, their owner just got approved the day before they trade for Durant, and on his second day on the job, they go out and get a superstar in Kevin Durant. And the Suns now have shot up to be one of the betting favorites to win the Western Conference. You know, they got to get Durant back healthy, but you know, just on paper, Durant, Chris Paul, Booker, and Ayton, it's going to be very hard to beat out West. Uh, but there are some other teams out West that I think are in the conversation, but just. Kevin Durant is no longer in the the Eastern Conference. He is in back in the West where he was for so many years. And the Suns have a real shot to uh get back to the finals this season, it feels like, after that move. I would give the Suns an A here. I would give the, the Nets an A here too on this trade. I think the Nets got a lot of great value. And like I said, I still think the Nets can be playoff contenders despite uh contenders for a playoff spot despite getting rid of Durant and Kyrie Irving. Celtics got Mike Muscala from the uh, from the Thunder. He's a you know a stretch big, which is kind of what they needed. Don't don't mind that trade. Um, there was a four team trade between the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and Magic, which saw Thomas Bryant being traded to Denver um bones highland to the clippers patrick beverly going to orlando the lakers also ended up getting mo baba devon reed and a second round pick so i mean that's another minor trade there sadiq bay goes from detroit uh goes from oh not- no excuse me not sadiq bay he did get traded but we're gonna get to that move later the Suns got darius basley from oklahoma city um, here's Sadiq Bay. James Wiseman gets traded to Detroit. Sadiq Bay gets traded to the Hawks, and Gary Payton II goes back to Golden State. And honestly, I think that's pretty much it for like big trades. Yeah, that's it. So just taking a look at the NBA landscape. I mean, you obviously think Phoenix is a lot better and Dallas is a lot better. I would love to see that matchup in the playoffs, especially after last year. You know, when Luca beat them in the conference uh, semifinals and that game seven. But now they got the added wrinkle of having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But out West, um, honestly, like, there are like five teams I could see, you know, making a run at the Western Conference title, assuming they're all healthy. And those are Denver, the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are still the best team in the West despite the Suns getting Durant you know, they just played so well together. Jokic is playing in MVP level. They got a lot of good role players like, um, you know, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope who's shooting the ball very well from three. They gotten um Jamal Murray back up to speed after his injury. You know, Aaron Gordon's playing at, you know, someone say an all-star level. So I do like Denver. I think they're well coached. I think they're ready to be the team to beat out West in the playoffs. And I just think they have a lot more depth than the Suns too. You know, I said how good the Suns' starting five was, but just the Nuggets have a lot more depth. They have a lot more bench pieces, and I think that will help them come playoff time. So the Nuggets are one team out west I could see come uh, coming out coming out of the West in the to the finals. The other team I could see coming out of the West is the Suns. Obviously, you know they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. They've been to the finals recently. Monty Williams is a good coach. Talent-wise, this team is absolutely gonna be in contention for um that that spot a spot in the Western Conference Finals and a spot in the NBA title. Um it's actually six teams because the other four, besides Denver and Phoenix, are the Grizzlies, you know, obviously led by John Morant. They, they're very good at home. They're second in the conference right now. I like the Mavs. I do think this Kyrie Luca deal. Um, this pairing has the potential to be successful in the playoffs, especially offensively. And then I would say the last two are probably the Clippers. You know, if you get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George fully healthy and the Warriors, if Steph comes back and gets fully healthy, those are like the six teams in the West that I can see winning the Western conference. But if I had to pick a team to come out of the West, I'm still going with the nuggets. Um, I know that might sound crazy just how good the Suns are, on paper with Kevin Durant, but I keep saying that on paper. You need Durant to get healthy. There's also only one ball. I feel like I can also say that about Dallas, which is why I still lean towards Denver. In the East, it's a four-team race now with the net, with the Nets out of it, in my opinion. I don't think the Nets are going to be able to compete with the top four teams in the East. Celtics are the best team in the East, no doubt. 41-16 um, and 16 this year. I think Jason Tatum's playing at an MVP level. Obviously went to the finals last year, Boston did, so they got that going for them as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Boston going back to the finals at all. But then the other three teams are Milwaukee, the Bucs, obviously Giannis is on another level. The dude is so good at basketball. He is probably, I've said the last couple of years, I think he's the best player in the world. But that's a conversation for another day. And then Philly with Embiid and Harden. If those two are on and clicking, they can beat anybody. Uh, The Bucs have been playing really well as of late. They won 10 in a row. And then the fourth team is the Cavs. Uh, Didn't do much at the deadline, the Cavs, but they've been playing their best basketball as of late. They're 8-2 in their last 10. They've won six in a row. And I can give you a live update on their their game right now. The Cavs are actually in action tonight against the Spurs. They are currently winning that one 65-49 at the half. So Cavs playing really good basketball as of late. And the thing that started it was – The game against Memphis, the Cavs won that game by 20, but Donovan Mitchell got thrown out of that game after Dylan Brooks kind of, you know, uh, uh, threw a – how do I word this gently? Threw an uppercut at the family jewels uh, while Mitchell was standing. um, After already recovering from a groin injury, Mitchell then threw the ball and, you know, started this brawl. But I really liked what the Cavs have done recently, and I think any one of those four teams, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Cavs, could win the East, and I think the West is a little bit more wide open, partially because due to the amount of star power out there. You know, in the East, you look at those five, te- four teams. You know, you got Tatum and Brown in Boston. You got Giannis and Milwaukee. You got Embiid and Harden in Philly, and then Cleveland you got you know Mitchell and Garland. I would say are the two true two true stars. Elsewhere in the East, where where's your star power? Jimmy Butler, I'll, I'll accept. They're six seed though. I don't see them making much noise. Can you really call Trey Young a star? Like, you know, you get what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot more star power at West because you look at the West. Jokic, Ja, you know, Luka, Kyrie, Booker, um, Durant, Kawhi, Paul George, Zion, um, Rudy Gobert, Steph, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you know, Lowry marketing. you know, LeBron, AD, Dame Lillard, You know, there's a lot of star power out West, and so there's a lot more teams that feel like they are in this all the way down to the 13 seed in the West that can make some noise in the playoffs. So the NBA is wide open. Um, My finals prediction right now would probably be Nuggets, and I do like Milwaukee over Boston just because Giannis, but I could see any one of those four teams in the East or any one of those six teams in the West coming out to get to the NBA Finals. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Real quick, just an update on the show. Um, So we normally like to take a break after the Super Bowl and six episodes into the season. We are going to take a break, and I don't think our next episode will be until the start of March Madness because that starts before baseball. So we'll probably pick this podcast back up after about a month break when March Madness starts. And we'll be back with our you know weekly episodes for the baseball season and March Madness, the duration of the tournament, and all that good stuff. So just want to thank you guys for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Jotes Sports Pod. You can also give me a follow at JackBurneyTV. Recently started a new job in TV. Would really appreciate your guys' support over there as well. You can support the, you can support this podcast uh you know by supporting on anchor.fm, or you can rate this podcast five stars and Spotify. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with, um, we're on our Super Bowl hiatus for about a month. We'll be back with more episodes when March Madness rolls around. But until then, I've been Jack Burney, signing off.